0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of our little podcast here where we are previewing some of our incredible UXRConf speakers. That's right, UXRConf is coming up, it's 2022. It's been another year. Today we're gonna be talking to someone very wonderful. Uh, Her name is Zoe Glass, she's a senior UX researcher at a company you may have heard of, it's called Lyft. They will transport you places. So if you're in one place, but you would rather be in another place and you would like convenient transportation, From that original place to the new place, that's what Lyft can do. And Zoe is a UX researcher a senior UX researcher there. How are you doing, Zoe? I'm
1: doing great. You know, I'm pretty happy with the place I'm in right now, but I do love the ability to teleport.
0: Hey, I mean transportation, what a what an important thing. Transporting people, transporting stuff. Really critical part of our economy. Zoe, we got connected a little while back. And I think I'm, I'm, you know, really excited to, for what you're going to be talking about. But maybe let's just let's just start as we often do. Tell us a bit about your story. How did you get here? Wherever here is.
1: Yeah. No, I love that question. Um, I actually do a ton of mentorship, so I feel like this comes up a lot. And this might end up sounding a bit rehearsed, but I used to be a wildlife biologist. I actually, for quite some time, um, trained skunks to run on treadmills to measure their exercise efficiency, which is always my like two truths and a lie. That's you know, the obvious truth, because it's a little bit too weird, but just enough for people to doubt it.
0: There's the um, classic funnel of skunk trainer to UX researcher that, you know, tried and trued. Exactly.
1: You know, you get bit enough by a skunk and you're like, dang, I would rather work with a PM that doesn't like research.
0: <laughs> it's good, con- good context and perspective for, for walking into the role.
1: You know, it really is. It really is. But yeah, I worked as a wildlife biologist for a few years. I ended up taking a job with the state looking at R3 coordination, which is how we get people to hunt and fish more. So again, like studying behavior and how we can get behavior to change. And it was awesome. Aside from the four-hour commute to Sacramento and ended up making the jump to UX, worked for YouTube for a couple of years, and then made my way over to Lyft, a little bit smaller company. Great impact. It's been really fun. And I get to explore amazing side projects like the one that I'm here to talk about today. Amazing.
0: Um I'm going to be thinking about skunks all day. I mean...
1: Oh, there's videos. You want videos? We can we can upload that as a side supplement here.
0: We're definitely going to have to link to that in the description. Are you kidding me? Do you have videos of yourself getting like sprayed by a skunk? Is that a thing?
1: I don't, you know. So there's actually just a couple different surgeries you can do to remove the scent glands or kind of tie them off. Um, but the skunks don't know it. So they do still do their adorable little charge. But they, you know, they bite and they claw and they're not generally the nicest. And uh, I made the mistake of naming them after Harry Potter characters, and this is going to supply no one, but Severus was a jerk, um, and regularly disappeared and attacked me. So lesson learned, name them all Hermione, so they all do fine. So they
0: all, they're they all pleasant. Well, I'm going to have to have you on our, our alternate podcast, Amazing Wildlife Adventures with Alec Levin, uh, and we can talk about skunks all day. But for now, I think it's incumbent upon us to talk a bit about research. So- one of the things that I really loved about your your talk proposal, and I'll let you introduce it a little bit, was it really struck me as very bizarre that this seems to be a blind spot. What you what your talk's about. So, uh, you know, I'll let you do it justice by introducing what it is. And I'd love for you, if you could, talk to us a bit about, like, do you have any theories about why this isn't a more explored thing? So, what is it, and why don't we explore it enough?
1: Yeah, totally. So super excited about this. So excited to bring this to the group. And basically what we're looking at is why religion should be taken into account as a demographic factor in our research. And I think in the past five, ten years, we've done a lot better job of inclusion in research, awareness of the need for diversity. We came from a point in which almost all research was done in the cities where these companies are based. So New York, San Francisco, Seattle, which are wealthy, white high technologically educated cities, and then said, dang, yes, that's going to work for everyone in the US, regardless of education level, regardless of exposure to technology. And it took us a while, but we finally said, whoops, that's probably not a great idea. And we started to take into account things like age, things like education, things like tech savviness, things like race, gender, ethnicity, But we've never gotten to the point, at least as far as I've seen and I've been exposed to, where we take religion into account in this, which is really surprising when we think about it, because the vast majority of the U.S. is religious. If we project out 50 years, it's expected that religious populations are going to grow something like 250 times faster than non-religious populations. So this problem is only going to get more pronounced if we continue to ignore it. And religion and how we relate to the world in terms of our morals, in terms of what we deem acceptable, in terms of the communities we interact with, is a key indicator of what we're doing. So if we can better understand how religion is affecting technology use, how it might affect the launch of a product, we can probably make something that, one, works a heck of a lot better, but two, is much more inclusive, especially of those religions that might not necessarily have a great understanding or awareness around them anyway, right? Jews are less than 1% of the population. Muslims, certainly not anywhere near as Christians in the US. So how can we start to Think about these things more specifically when we're saying we're making inclusive products.
0: Let's take into account religion. I mean, I think that's a great explanation. And and as you're talking about that, I'm, I'm like, you know, we, we have like these religions that we kind of come back to in our heads a lot. And, you know, if, if you're familiar with with some of the basics of these, like, yeah, it's going to be, you know, you know, like dietary restrictions. We're familiar with that kind of thing. Um but, you know, there's also some lesser known ones. There's this like Zoroastrianism. There's Jainism. There's like all these other ones that, you know, depending on what it is you're making, you might actually have to do a deep dive. I have no idea. I, I don't know very much about them. Totally. And I think even broader than that, like we have some
1: awareness or you're like, okay, Jews don't eat pork. Mm. But then you'll have a conversation that's even one step deeper that, you know, if you have a strong understanding of Judaism, you're like, oh, of course, Shabbos, they don't turn anything on. But then what does that actually mean for your oven, right? Like you can't turn it on or turn it off on Travis. So how do we develop a mode for that? And all of a sudden people are like, oh, wait, I didn't actually know that. I didn't know how that was working. And then even a step further to go to kind of the extremes, we don't take into account like the super orthodox and Mm. super orthodox people often have very specific phones that do not have access to a web browser. So if you want to market something or make something that works, how are you going to do that with a phone that doesn't have a web browser that doesn't have that freedom? And what's that going to affect your product? And, and maybe the answer is like, hey, I'm not building for that right now, but we should at least be doing that consciously and saying we are making the choice not to make this accessible in this way or another in the same way that we should be doing it with every other ethnographic and demographic factor that we already do.
0: Yeah, uh, totally. I mean, I'm sure we could go down some rabbit holes oh, yes. <laughs> uh, around our upbringings and familiarity with some of the intricacies of, of modern uh, orthodoxy in the Jewish community. but. To, to quickly dovetail into my the a follow-up question here, like, why do you think, and it's funny when you, when I remember when you brought this up to me, I'm kind of like thinking back to my experience and maybe I'm just exposing myself as a shitty researcher every time I tell an anecdote like this, but I don't ever remember, you know, when I've recruited people ever asking about religion or uh, even when I've used platforms uh, or recruiting services, ever flagging that as a thing that I'd want to know about or recruit based off of that being even an option. Why do you think that's the case?
1: I mean, it's not an option on any of the major recruiting platforms. It would be something that you'd have to ask. And I think some of it is just cultural in the U.S., right? There's a couple of things we never ask about at parties. It's politics, sex, and religion, right? We keep those off the table. And I think as a culture, we've actually moved towards being much more accepting of different people's politics, or at least talking about it, um, and much more accepting of people's sexualities, which is great. Again, more willing to talk about those things. Religion, in some way, people have stepped away from. It's become like, it can become politicized. It can be seen as old school. A lot of people don't talk about it. And I think also when we look at tech, which tends to be younger, which tends to be in more developed cities, it's also just less likely that those people even are religious and it's something that's on their mind. So I think some of it's just passive. And the Mm -hmm. other piece is that it doesn't, like simply taking into account something, saying, hey, I, I made sure I had Black people in my study. I made sure I had Hispanic people in my study does not mean we are building for those populations in an effective way. But we now at least have a better understanding of what would it mean to do research with these populations and how might these populations vary such that we can develop products for them. Religion is brand new in a lot of ways. We haven't done it before. So you're like, great, I have this data. This religious group behaves differently than another religious group. We don't actually know what to do with it yet. Right. Um, so I think until we get to a point where we know what to do with it, it's going to feel a little bit just out of reach. And it's so uncomfortable to bring up in the first place for most people that there's really no positive pressure to start doing it.
0: Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned, I'm trying to think right now, like how many people I know in in tech that I know well, that where I'm fairly certain that they go to church on a regular basis, or they go to synagogue on a regular basis, they go to mosque. I think, oddly enough, I think I know probably more people that go to mosque than go to church. Um, you know, which is another interesting thing, I suppose. And, and it's just not a, it's just not around us very much. On it's a very secular industry for the most part, I would say. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that I think is also neat about this is I think when you have an industry that tends to be so secular, as I think researchers tend to be even amongst tech people, there's a lack of awareness around how that actually shapes so many decisions that people make day to day. Can you talk a little bit about that and like what that can kind of look like and how that might influence a product roadmap, for example, Totally. conceptually?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because there's the things that we even are aware of and then things that we might be having a little bit under the surface. So you brought up like people going to church, people going to mosques. Certainly we're seeing less of that in cities, but there's all sorts of other ways that religion just foundationally affects how we think of the world, right? You might not even consider yourself necessarily religious anymore, but if you were raised in a religious way, that's shaped your moral lens of the world, shaped what you think is acceptable or unacceptable. And I actually came to this through wildlife to bring it back to the skunks a little bit. And there's this theory called wildlife value orientations, where we basically can say, answer these questions and we're going to determine how you feel about wildlife conservation. And we tested this back when I was in grad school and found that it actually tracks pretty well with religion. And people who associate as Christian are less likely to want to conserve wildlife than those who do not. Um, We called that group nuns. It was N-O-N-E-S. Not the most sophisticated at the time, but it worked. Um, And I think our kind of coastal response to that is, oh, my God, that's awful. But it's really not. It's just a different moral lens where if you are perhaps less likely to be religious, you're less likely to think of animals as something that serve humans, right? You're more likely to think of them as moral in their own right, deserving of protection in their own right, and therefore more deserving of things like economic harm to protect them or sacrificing some sort of human good to protect them. And on the other end of it, you're like, no, 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 they deserve that protection regardless. Both of those people are totally good and moral people. They just have different perceptions of how it's going to affect what they're doing. So we can kind of take that lens to anything within product. Fact checking I think is a really interesting one. Is like who has the right to knowledge and who has a right to share that knowledge and who has the right to determine what is right or wrong? And is that a singular person in the community? How is that kind of shared? And that can affect what we're building, it can affect how we're building it. In terms of like the product roadmap question specifically, I think like everything it's going to determine or differ company to company. And what your OKRs and business goals are, which can still be related to, let's say, use, right? If I want to increase use, I better understand who can use my product and how they're going to be able to use that product and what they determine successful use to be. Um, so it's just being a little bit more specific on who our users really are and what they might be motivated by so that we can just better tailor for them.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, even as you're talking about this, it's. Uh, I think it can feel like this is. Uh, uh an additional like penalty almost to the work that you need to do it's like oh i got to do this extra thing but it doesn't even have to kind of be that way there's a kind of like a hometown example of this from a canadian startup was well, i don't know it's pretty big now but a company called well simple that they're kind of like uh have you heard of them i don't know if americans have heard of any canadian tech companies to be honest sometimes i wonder I have of family in canada I have a lot of family. Okay, <laughs> long holds the <of> Blue Jays. <laughs> they, okay, well now we now we can be real friends. You got Blue Jay Stan over here. Um, so they they um, they're kind of similar to like Wealthfront, I think, in the United States. Anyway, it's like a um, ETF slash savings slash now stock trading platform and whatnot. One of the things that they put together was a uh, a halal savings product, right? right? And so for uh, uh, religious Muslims. There are certain things that are um, permissible to invest in, and certain things that are not permissible to invest in. And so, they created a specific ETF for people of faith in the Muslim community who want to invest, but take seriously the fact that they can invest in certain things. And so, all of a sudden, it you know it it, it gives you access to a new market. And creates a lot of opportunities for growth and to serve more people, which I think is kind of like the flip side of that. It's like, well, if you know a lot of these things about people's values framework and their preferences because you've spent time with them and you understand the impact of that. Well, all of a sudden, there's more opportunities to to build new and interesting things.
1: Totally, And I mean, I think the other thing to think about is even just how do we reduce that anxiety? So let's say another company had a halal product. They just didn't brand it as halal, Right. didn't get final approval, Mm. the expectation there is, okay, there is going to be a devout Muslim person who is going to research this so thoroughly, get approval through whatever channels they need to be able to feel trusted in doing this. When we could, as a company, say, hey, FYI, you don't need to do additional research. We've done that for you. We've gotten a halal certification for you. We believe in you and we want to make sure you can do what is best for you and we're going to make it easy to do so. Totally. And we can do that for all religions and just reduce stress and bring it in right it might not even be building a new product sometimes it's literally just saying hey i promise you are safe here and you are welcome here
0: right right that's a good point yeah it's such a fascinating topic because it's so multifaceted i think there's other studies that have shown that you know the the way you feel about authority your religiousness is heavily predictive of whether or not you are you trust authority or not for example and how you feel about government there's all these different institutions where even if the things are not directly connected between laws and rules there certainly can be predictive or correlated. It's it's definitely a really interesting thing. And I think it's it was definitely surprising to me that, you know, this is a thing that you rightly pointed out, that it just doesn't have enough focus. And it's such a core part of human psychology. Like you said, what is it half of the people in the world are religious or something like that? Maybe more?
1: Yeah, depends on where you're at. It can be up to ninety percent. There are some European countries that are definitely on the lower end. U.S. is actually increasing, which I think surprises a lot of people. Hmm. But there is a—I think there's a great book about that. And it's like why good people disagree on on moral things. Can't remember the title. Amazing book. I will remember to send it. <laughs> um, but yeah, just how we approach things and how we think of things. Where people that are more liberally oriented are like, I just don't think authority is all that important. And when you come to the table and say, like, we fundamentally disagree on what authority is, right? Like, let's take fact-checking, for example, because that's some work I did back in my YouTube days. You're like, well, who is the authority? And do I trust their authority? And why is YouTube pressing their authority onto me that is not an authority figure I believe in? Whereas if you maybe just are lax towards authority, you're like, okay, cool. Like, I trust you know, I see that YouTube is putting this information in front of me and I can do with it whatever I want.
0: Here are some facts about COVID.
1: Here are some facts, right? (laughs) But that's a totally different reaction. Yeah. And then you might be there like, literally, hey, just ignore that box. Where another group is like, no, this is somebody actually coming in and trying to force something upon me. Mm -hmm. Being aware of like, these are the extreme reactions here. And here's why. Let's build this in a way that makes sure the extreme person still feels enabled to do whatever they want to do. Take that information, ignore that information, learn more, do something different. Um, and just making sure it actually works for people where they're coming from. And religion is still one of our best predictors of that. It's not the only one, but it's a much easier question to ask on a survey than like, here's a 50 question development about your moral <laughs> framework, which I just don't think is going to have the greatest response rate.
0: No doubt. So, you know, a lot of the times we, we ask what, what you kind of hope people take away from your talk. I think it's pretty obvious in your case, you know, you want people to consider this more <laughs> and incorporate this into how you recruit and and how and who you do research with and whatnot. So maybe instead, if you can talk about a little bit about how you're thinking about breaking this down to get people a little bit excited about some of the core material you, you're thinking well, about sharing.
1: I mean, I, I feel like I can still answer the first question. Like, definitely just start thinking about it. And I do think it's going to be a little bit of an awkward conversation at first. Like Going to someone you really respect who you're like, I don't know how they feel about this and saying, hey, can we talk about God? It can be a little bit odd at first, but just enabling people to say, let's have that conversation, right? My dream is 10 companies at least sit down at a table and say, we haven't done this before. Do we want to do this? And let's make a conscious decision to include it or not in whatever we're building. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's in recruitment right away. Awesome. Like big hugs to those folks. I will send you cookies. And maybe that's literally just like (laughs) building in a lit review each time. Hey, we're building a new investing app. Let's look at the major religions of the world plus a couple of minor significant ones and see how they might be thinking about this. What should we be taking into account? And that's like an amazing baby step that's only going to take folks a couple hours to start thinking about these problems relative to their products.
0: But you had a broader question, which is, what am I going to tell Yeah, Yeah. Like so if you can, you know, what are some of the key things that you think high level that you're going to dig into into your talk in terms of how you break this material down and make it a little bit digestible for people?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, we're just going to go into super Talmudic study yeah. in the ancient <laughs> Aramaic the whole time. It's going to be great. Um, you will be yelling at each other while this happens.
0: That's classic. Um, that right is here.
1: a niche joke for the people for that understand. For all seven
0: of you who know what the Talmud is, for
1: all seven, can we at least have ten? I just need a minion for that joke. To
0: yeah. Make. Oh boy.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can see you editing this out right now. No um, chance. This so, is
0: making the cut.
1: <laughs> there's definitely a couple of things that I want people to be thinking about when we break it down. I think one is like we're going to talk through some of the really common things. So. Uh, you made a great example before in investing. How might investing differ between Catholics, uh, people who are you know, Jews, Muslims, etc.? How are they thinking about that differently? Let's talk about some of the, the TLDRs that you should at least have in your mind. Dietary restrictions, technology use restrictions that are common, and I hope affect at least 50% of people and say, oh, okay, my product has something there, right? What does it mean to take a Lyft ride on Shabbos? Mm. Um, Some rabbis say shared right is okay. So there's some questions there. And then a little bit deeper, which is like, what does it mean to use these as a lens? Again, a little bit more complicated, but we'll talk a little bit about the way that religion shapes our moral lenses on the world. Some of the ways that we can start to ask about those things in research sessions and just have these conversations because let's be real, like everyone's a little bit uncomfortable talking about religion. And that's not a modern problem. I think we love on like TV pundits to be like, everyone hates religion now. Like, it's always been a little bit uncomfortable. People have always been a little bit weird about it. But how do we start to have that conversation in an inviting and hopefully beneficial way for both parties? So we'll talk about that a little bit.
0: I love it. I'm pumped. I'm so pumped. It's going to be fun. So to all of those listening in, if you want to be one of the few, who get to hang out with Zoe. Zoe's going to have one-on-one chats with all of you, buy you coffee and cookies. Maybe not that, but she will be there in person. I mean, if
1: it's New York black and whites, I will buy you one, especially if you've never had (laughs) one.
0: There you go. You've got it on the record now. If you want to be hanging out in person, got a small number of tickets available for UXR Conf in person, in Brooklyn, in New York. Maybe you've heard of that place. It's going to be awesome. 99 Scott's the venue, it's really nice, lots of fun. But also, if you're more comfortable just taking it all in from home, guess what? It's free. You can catch all the fun streaming from the comfort of your living room if you want. Or your phone, I think, probably. So yeah, catch it all in, uxrconference.com. Grab your ticket now. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us for this riveting conversation about God and religion and what we gotta know more about it. And we'll see you in a few weeks, yeah? We'll see you in a few weeks. I can't wait to talk more about skunks and religion. Skunks and religion, of course, go hand in hand. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for joining Zoe. Everyone else, I'll see you at UXRConf June 6th and 7th. Take care, everyone.